Alhamdulillah. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him and we seek His help. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of our souls and the consequences of our actions. Whomever Allah guides can never be misguided. And whoever is misguided cannot be guided except through Him. I bear witness and I testify that there is no deity worthy of worship other than Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. And I bear witness and I testify that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is his most perfect worshipper and his final prophet. As to what follows, know that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has reminded us to be conscious of him when he says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Dear Muslims, today across the world, from Jakarta all the way to Alaska, people like you are gathering for Friday prayers. And Alhamdulillah, more than 1.2 billion people will be coming to listen to a khutbah, a sermon, to be reminded of their Creator, to hear the salat upon the Prophet And that in and of itself is a miracle. 1,444 years ago, people were being persecuted in the small city of Mecca. And they surrounded their Prophet in the shade of the Kaaba sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And they said, Ya Rasulallah, for how long are we going to be persecuted? For how long are we going to be dragged through the streets? For how long is this slaughter and mayhem going to continue? And the Prophet was sitting with his back on the Kaaba. He stood up, he, he put his back forward. And he said, are you in doubt as to this religion? Are you in doubt as to the promise of Allah? For wallahi, a time will come when this religion will be flourishing, where there is night and day and where the sun falls, this religion will be flourishing. And in one version he said, My Lord unfurled the earth for me, and I saw the easternmost, and I saw the westernmost, and I saw that my ummah shall be flourishing from the east to the west. He said this when the ummah could not even imagine living in Mecca. And here we are, as a manifestation of that prophecy, who could have ever imagined in America of all places, in a land far, far away from where Islam began, who could have imagined in the year 2024, 1445, who could have imagined in Cincinnati a masjid like this that is packed to capacity? This is something that even a hundred years ago, the ummah could never have imagined. How in a land where there is no adhan, there is no Qur'an, there is no civilization of Muslims, how can Islam flourish? And it is flourishing in this land. Across the Western world, alhamdulillah, we are coming in flocks, in hordes to the masjid. It is interesting, an anecdote or a simple fact here. In England, the United Kingdom, this is a shocking and a pleasant and a happy statistic all in once. More Muslims pray Jumu'ah on Friday than Christians go to church on Sunday. Let that statistic sink in. Because Muslims are less than 7% of England. Muslims are less than 7% in UK. And yet, the quantity that go to the masjid, sheer quantity, is more than those who go to church on Sunday. That is sad because we want Christians to be Christians. It's better than the alternative. That is actually sad for us. But it is also happy for us because it shows the reality of our faith and iman. There is no ummah. There is no religion 
There is no group of believers of any prophet that is more faithful to the teachings of his prophet than we are. And we thank Allah for that, but in reality, it's not me and you. This is the blessings of our Prophet ﷺ. It is the truth of, the, of his prophethood. It is the veracity of the Qur'an that testifies to this reality. Here we are in a land far, far away. And alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, Islam is alive and thriving. And one of the most amazing realities is that when my forefathers and your forefathers came here, when my parents came, I was born in this land, my parents came in the early 60s, and many of you yourselves have come or your parents have come. One of the more interesting aspects when they came, it wasn't their vision to build these types of masajid and to have people come and to revive Islam. It, that, that's not what was on their mind. They came for rizq, for sustenance, which is halal, not haram to do that. They came for a better life. They came to just live a better life for themselves and their children. But the spark of iman was in their hearts. And this is the reality of our faith and our religion, that it is so pure, it is so true, that even those who don't go because of the religion are inspired by it. Even those who didn't come prioritizing the religion, they end up prioritizing it. My father didn't come here to build the first masjid in Houston, Texas, but he ended up building the first masjid in Houston, Texas. My father didn't come here to found the MSA, but he ended up founding the MSA. He came for rizq, for studies, for masters. He came to live out a better life. But there's iman in the hearts of the believers. Just like there's iman in the founders of this community. There's iman across this country. And they came disconnected from their governments. There wasn't a khalifa. We haven't had a khalifa for 100 plus years. There wasn't a, a ruler. But they came and they knew they had a responsibility in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so in spite of all odds, in spite of the fact they came as struggling students, Without that vision, without the finances, without the backing of massive governments, groups of believers in the ummah of the Prophet came together. Groups of reciters of the Quran came together. They didn't have this grandiose vision, but they knew they needed to do something, and they did. And because of their efforts, here we stand today, and we are now at a crossroads. We are at a seminal time of American Islam. A seminal time. Because for now, this generation, it is the first generation and the only generation that is fully in tune with the heritage of our forefathers and fully acclimatized with the ambience and the, and the world around us. There shall only be one such generation. That's mine and yours. After this, our heritage, our culture, our language back home is going to diminish. This is the reality. And... Our awareness of our modern world is going to increase. What we do in this generation and our visions that we form in this generation and the course that we chart out for the next 30 years will decide and dictate the future of Islam for the next 300 years. Mark my words. This generation, mine and yours, it is the seminal generation for setting up the vision and the future of Islam in these parts of the world. And Allah has chosen you and chosen me. I didn't choose to be born in which generation? I didn't choose to be born of immigrant parents. I didn't choose my, it was Allah's qadr. Same as you, it was Allah's qadr. We are not the founders of the first masajid, but many of them are still alive amongst us. We aren't that generation. That generation was the 60s and 70s and 80s maybe even. That generation, they laid this foundation. 
They did the basic infrastructure. We thank Allah. They created the torch. Now the torch is being passed down. And we now have the opportunity to protect and nurture. The opportunity to fortify and strengthen. And also the risk of completely extinguishing. And that is why my khutbah today, miscellaneous thoughts, but the point is to incentivize us. The point is to make us think at a different level. To literally cause every one of us to understand. Every one of you has a massive role to play in the future of Islam in this country. Every one of you, without exception. Because subhanallah, look at the state of Islam in America, the positives. Alhamdulillah, in every city, we have thriving masajid and communities. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Muslims practicing, praying, fasting, taraweeh. We thank Allah, wallahi, we thank Allah that we have a parking problem in every single masjid in North America. This is a positive problem to have because other faith communities are struggling to fill one third, one half of their churches. And we thank Allah that every single masjid in North America has a parking problem. This is a positive problem to have. And it's not about me and you. It's about the truth of the Risala Muhammadiyya sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So given this reality, that here we are, without even planning and having a vision, without even thinking 30, 40, 50 years ahead, our forefathers, our ancestors, our parents, and maybe even some of us here, they did what they did and we thank Allah for them. The question is, what if we were to actually have a vision? What could we accomplish? What if we were to actually sit down and chart a course out? What if we were to actually engage in constructive planning? What can we do as a faith-based community? What is the role of Islam in North America? What is the role of a Muslim? What is the identity of a Muslim? What if we were to begin having these very difficult and awkward conversations and come together the best and the brightest minds, different specialities, and then quite literally constructing the future of what it will mean for my great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, how will Islam look for them? This is what we need to do for this generation. And... There's no doubt there are many challenges, and I'm going to mention some of them. But in my humble experience, and I'm somebody who loves history, and I travel the world, I've been to over 60 countries, I've lived in multiple countries as well. In my humble opinion, some of the perks and the positives that we have in North America are second to none. And I say, my humble opinion, take it or leave it, the potential that we have in this country is like no other community on earth. The potential to create positive change, the potential to influence, the potential to become a global force of good. What we have in this land is second to none. How can I make these grandiose claims? Well, first and foremost, first and foremost, one of the most powerful one of the greatest privileges that we have is the constitution and the freedoms that we have in this country that do not exist in any other country on earth. Wallahi, I say this bluntly, we thank Allah for the constitution. We thank Allah for the fact that I have the freedom of speech 
and I have the freedom to practice my faith. And no government, no politician, no Congress, no Senate can pass any law that prevents me from being a Muslim in my private life, that prevents me from speaking the truth, that will criminalize something that is politically incorrect. Yes, there might be social backlash, there's something else. But I cannot go to jail for even criticizing my own government. I cannot be punished for practicing Islam in my private life. And this is a privilege that does not exist, frankly, in any other country. Look at what is happening now, even in Europe. Even in Europe, which is supposed to be the bastion, France claimed that they were the ones who began freedom and laissez-faire. The revolution was French, they said. Even in those countries, they are banning Muslim parties that are politically incorrect, but not violent. Yesterday, they banned one of them. They are banning specific phrases that are generic for Palestine. They're banning protests on behalf of Palestine. They can do that in those countries, even though they're bastions of liberalism and other aspects. Our country cannot do that. Legally, they cannot. This is a privilege that we have, and we should thank Allah for. So we have the potential to carve out an Islamic identity and to protect and nourish that identity that is enshrined in the very laws of this land. Do not trivialize this. I don't need permission to give a khutbah here. I don't need to vet my khutbah from the State Department, from the FBI, from the CIA, from anybody. And if any law enforcement came to my house complaining about a khutbah that I gave, I would sue and I would win. This is the reality of the freedoms that we have. I don't need permission to build a school, Islamic school, other than the zoning stuff. I don't need permission to build a masjid. I just visited Spain. I don't want to go into too much detail, but subhanAllah, the problems that the Muslim community has there. Legally, you can build a masjid. Legally. Every time they petition, there's only a few, uh, only a few, less than five, I think, constructed masjids in the whole country. Why? Every time they petition, some technical law, some arcane aspect, zoning, this, that. The, the level of Islamophobia is insane. And here we are. Look at this facility. You would hardly find a facility, maybe even in many Muslim lands like this. So, this is of the biggest perks that we have. The freedom to protest, the freedom to influence, the freedom to be involved in politics, to engage, to speak out, to change hearts and minds. We just gave a rally uh, uh, last week, last weekend I was in, in D.C. 400,000 people in front of the White House. The White House was behind me. And I said bluntly that our support of Israel is irrational and immoral. And I lambasted our own politicians, call them war criminals. This is in front of the White House. Not even one police came and visited my house. Because they can't. This is my freedom to criticize. What other country on earth can we do this in? Do not trivialize this. And especially I speak to the second generation born and raised here myself, my generation. I speak to all of you. Stop fantasizing about overseas and Muslim lands. Your parents came here and fled here because they knew the reality of those lands. I'm just being brutally honest with you. Your parents came here because they understood those, the problems that take place there. I'm not saying the world is ideal over here. But what we have over here of living your life, you cannot have almost anywhere else in the world. We have many positives as well. This is one of them. Of the biggest positives we have here in North America is that our community, the American Muslim community, by and large, is of the most diverse and of the most well-educated on the face of the earth. Look around you. 
I guarantee you in this one mosque in the middle of one city, in the middle of America, one mosque, I guarantee you at least 45 different nationalities and ethnicities. At least 45. What other community of Muslims on earth can boast such diversity? The American slogan, strength through unity through diversity, wallahi, it applies to us a hundred times more. This is real diversity. The sheer quantity and quality of Muslims here. The languages, the backgrounds, the ethnicities, the specialities. You will be hard pressed to find any other community of anybody who has this much diversity. And yet still we are together as one ummah. This is strength through diversity. This is unity through diversity. And that is the strength. You go to any other community on the face of the earth, Muslim community. You go and you will find, generally speaking, other minorities, Europe and whatnot. There is one or two very dominant ethnicities. Nothing wrong with that. It is just the histories of how they worked out. And the rest are just very small. Whereas in America, we have a good, healthy diversity. Which is important if you want to create change. We also have a historical blessing that no other Western country of Islam has. We have the only indigenous American Muslim identity. Beginning with the slave trade, then working its way through African American history, and then through the Islamic movement, some of which are maybe fringe in terms of theology, but they created an, a vibe of Islam. And alhamdulillah, we now have even those fringe movements, the Nation of Islam, they, many of them became mainstream through the efforts of the great teacher Wardin Muhammad, may Allah bless and, and, and keep his soul in mercy. Imam Wardin Muhammad, he brought that fringe movement into mainstream. So we now have 30% of American Muslims. Their roots are far beyond my and your roots. My father came in 1962. Our African-American brethren came in 1600s. 400 years of history. 400 years of legacy. Who else can claim that type of heritage and roots? Again, this is a strength that we have as an American Muslim community. Now, along with these strengths, we also have some issues and problems. And again, because I've talked about positives, I need to mention some of the negatives as well. One of the biggest negatives that we have is because we are so diverse. Unfortunately, shaitan comes, un-Islamic ideas come, and we are divided when we should be united. Our Prophet predicted four things from my ummah will never disappear even though they're from Jahiliyyah. He predicted this. He said four things, I came to eliminate them. The Sharia came to squash them. The Quran came to kill these ideas, but they shall persist. Number one, he said what? To be proud of one's ethnicity and ancestry. Al-Fakhru bil-Ansab. And we see, unfortunately, this jahiliyyah. Wallahi, to be happy at your identity is not a problem. I love my culture. I speak Urdu. I love biryani. I love my peoples. No problem. But the minute I think my culture and ethnicity is better than yours, the minute I look down at you because I think mine is better than yours, this is where jahiliyyah is. It's fine to be happy at your ethnicity. It's fine to take pride in your culture. But that should not lead you to create division and look down at other cultures. And the minute that that happens, shaitan has won. And unfortunately, we still have this jahili mentality. I am of this ethnicity, that masjid is this, that. And we divide ourselves when we need to be united. Also, one of the bigger problems that we have, and this is not an easy one to solve. 
And I've spoken about this in more detail, but I'll just reference it and you can listen to a series of khutbahs I gave last year. One of the bigger problems that we have is trying to navigate through differences within the religion, sectarian differences, methodological differences. Because, and this is a deep topic, I'm just going to skirt it, I'm not going to go deep into it, but I will reference it. Because the Muslim world is so diverse, and we are a microcosm of that diversity, when we bring our teachers and preachers, and when we, people like myself go and study and come back from overseas, a lot of times we will bring our trends and our interpretations from back home. And we will then import them to the American context. And there are elements that are necessary to do and there are elements that are problematic to do. So this is not an easy topic. But what do we do with the diversity of thought from within? I'm not talking about diversity of cultures, that's a separate point. We should ignore diversity of cultures for ummah. I'm not talking about diversity of nationalities, that's jahiliyyah if you divide yourself and you hate other people. I'm talking about diversity of religious movements and spectrums and opinions and, and groups and firaq. I'm talking about sectarianism. And this is where it does get problematic. And I don't have a two-minute answer. I have a longer answer. I've given a series of khutbahs. I've given academic talks. But I say very simplistically, the Muslim American community will have to have a more mature understanding about sectarian differences than the vast majority of scholars from back home. We will have to come to terms. We're not going to eliminate diversity. We're not going to completely disintegrate the realities of our heritage and the different understandings we have. But we need to learn to work together in spite of our differences. We need to tolerate and even if necessary to refute in a manner that doesn't divide. And this is going to require a level of discourse that is almost unprecedented in the Muslim world. The fact of the matter, I'm sorry to be blunt here, we in this part of the world are going to have to show a maturity that is rarely found in Muslim-majority countries. Because we have no alternative. Am I going to disagree with you because of you place your hands somewhere else? Because of an abstract issue of theology that I don't understand? Am I going to divide? Am I going to say this is not a good Muslim because his view of X, Y, and Z is different than mine? What do we do with this? This is a deeper issue. Because yes, indeed, there are some issues that are very problematic to hold. I'm not making them all in one camp. But I will say, that it is high time we address this issue in a mature manner. Dialogue amongst ourselves. Listen to what different groups of people say. And understand, we don't have the luxury. We are 1% of this country, dear Muslim of America. 1%. That's a very, very small statistic. If we were to take this 1% and start dividing ourselves based upon abstract issues, based upon issues that have no tangible realities in our lives, what's going to happen? At the same time, I'm not saying everything is irrelevant. I do understand. I have beliefs of theology that I hold dearly. And if somebody holds a belief that is very different, there is an element of pain. There is an element of I don't agree. So we have to reach a level of maturity. Is it possible to cooperate on some areas and agree to disagree on others? This is what we need to do. And I've spoken about this in more detail, but this is one of the negatives that we have to overcome. Much more can be said, sisters and brothers, but the goal here is to make one simple point and request. And that is, every one of us has a vital role to play in this country. Every one of us, Allah has chosen us to be at a particular time and place. And what you will be doing in your own family and household, how you will raise your children, how you will be active in the masjid, your own version and vision of Islam, it will trickle down many generations. You didn't sign up for this, I understand. My father didn't sign up. I didn't sign up for it either, to be honest. 
But Allah chose us. And if Allah chose us, then Allah will help us. So turn to Allah. Be brave. Be bold. Ask questions. Learn. And be a part of communities. And understand the potential you have in this country and land to achieve good deeds, to achieve legacy, to build an empire in the eyes of Allah. Frankly, you probably have no such other potential anywhere else. Thank Allah for the privilege and then do what you can to live up to that privilege. May Allah Azza wa Jal bless me and you with and through the Quran. And may He make us those who its verses they understand and applies halal and haram throughout our lifespan. Ask Allah's forgiveness. You as well ask Him for is the Ghafoor and the Rahman. Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah, the one and the unique. He it is whom we worship, and it is His aid that we seek. He is the Lord of the oppressed, and He hears the prayer of the weak. As to what follows, one of the biggest challenges that we have, and again, in today's khutbah, I don't have the opportunity, and frankly, maybe none of us has a simple answer to, to Clarify these challenges, but I want to point them out so that at least we feel a level of comfort that okay It is a challenge. I know it's a challenge what the answer is what the solution is It will take many many years of dialogue and decade one of the biggest challenges that we face as a North American community is the Tensions between the purity of the religious folks and the reality and pragmatism of the activist folks. I Say that again one of the biggest challenges we have as an American community is that tension that is very, very palpable. We see it, we know it. Between the purity that the religious side wants and endeavors to achieve versus the pragmatism and the reality that the activist camp wishes to achieve. Where and how do we find a compromise? What do we do when in order to get into Congress, in order to have a Muslim in Congress, they have to acquiesce and accede to certain things that they're not going to change in order to change the bigger picture? What is the proper balance between wanting purity in our masajid versus the reality of the world around us? How do we deal with the problems of the greater country around us? What challenges do we choose? What rhetoric do we, do we, do we take? And this is a question that we are seeing over and over again. The tensions and the refutation culture and the cancellation culture. And I don't have an easy answer in this regard. Because this is a challenge very unique in my humble opinion to our Western community and in particular the American community. I don't have answers to this, but what I do know, what I do know, simplistic black and white, simplistic right and wrong from the extremists on both sides is going to get us nowhere. I don't know what to do, but I do know that simply canceling people, kicking them out of the fold of Islam, saying they're all sellouts and deviants or whatever, that's not going to help us. It's not going to help us. What do we do when some of the main Muslim politicians have views on morality and sexuality that go against Islam? What do we do when those same people are of the most vocal in support of Palestine and Gaza? What do we do? Do we support them or do we cancel them? Or is there a middle ground? I don't have an answer to this, but what I do know, we can't just quote slogans and think that's going to solve the problem. What I do know, we have to reach a level of maturity amongst ourselves and figure out a way forward and understand that maybe people have different roles to play. Maybe I have a role to play as a sheikh and a teacher, and maybe I can be a little bit more hardline, but somebody in Congress, maybe we don't expect them to be as blatant and as blunt in, in issues as long as they're being beneficial to them. I don't know. I have no idea because this is a new, untested reality, uncharted reality. 
So maybe one of the things we do need to do, the religious clergy side and the activist side, they realized that even though their methodologies are different, in reality they want the same thing and that is the protection of the ummah. So perhaps to minimize the tension and to enter the same room and dialogue together. Because the fact of the matter is, activism without religious guidelines is very dangerous. And religiosity without activism is very useless. What's the purpose of being religious if your messages are going to get shut down? And those of you that are youngsters, let me be blunt here. Those of you that are below the age of 30, 35 and you've been born and raised here and you have these idealistic, utopic, you know, very romanticized version of Islam. You weren't around when 9-11 happened. I was a teenager. I was a young man. And my version of Islam and my black and white version was tempered with the realities of 9-11. 9-11 was a wake-up call for all of us. Of course, it was a tragedy. We, we, we were definitely against, obviously, what happened. But as a Muslim community, we realized we were totally unprepared. Many people that I knew were expelled from this country. Many institutes were shut down. Many masajid were raided. And we were totally unprepared. And we realized we needed a level of political discourse, a, lot of, a level of wisdom and acumen that we didn't have. It was a wake-up call for me personally in my own understanding of Islam. Listen to my history introductory, and I, I went over this myself. It made me realize we can't have these simplistic slogans. We need to be practical and realistic without losing touch of our heritage. It was a wake-up call for every one of us. Now we see that same wake-up call in Palestine and Gaza. We see that same wake-up call. What do we do when our own country is the number one supporter of apartheid regime? What do we do when we give them their complete, the umbilical cord that keeps that country alive is us? What do we do? We just sit back and criticize everybody that wants to do something. But if we get involved, we're going to have to choose which battle. We cannot choose every single battle. I don't have answers, but I do know Allah has tested us and blessed us to engage in types of changes and rhetoric and dialogue that is unprecedented in the history of the ummah. We've never had to discuss this before. So, even if I don't have the answers, I do say my advice to all of you, don't listen to simplistic rhetoric that thinks it can solve the problem in one dimension. There's no such, there's no such solution. Listen to ulama and activists that are more central. Listen to them who understand, I can't just be in my masjid preaching and teaching and be disconnected from society around me. There's got to be some involvement. And also, activists need to understand, you can't have activism without some basis in the Quran and Sunnah, without an attachment to the heritage of the Prophet What is Islamic activism without Islam? So the two of us need to dialogue together, form a happy middle ground, and try to figure out a way that we preserve the interests of our community. We are not enemies of one another. We are on the same team. We might have different roles to play, but we're on the same team. So my humble request and ask, every one of us, understand, you are in a particular time and place. Consider yourself the first domino. And how you fall, the direction you fall in, the direction you go, is going to influence many, 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 many thousands of dominoes after you. It's a very big responsibility. So please, for the sake of Allah, and then for the sake of your future progeny, make sure you have an attachment to Allah. Make sure your heart is pure, because everything begins from here. Make sure you want good for the sake of Allah, because when you want good, Allah will bless you. And then, study Ask, dialogue, interact with people, and choose your leaders and mentors with wisdom. 
Sometimes the ones with the fiercest and the harshest and the sweetest rhetoric are actually the most misguided people. Think with the head that Allah has given you. And don't just follow simplistic slogans. Your religious scholarship is itself divided. Your activists are themselves divided. Choose amongst them those that seem to understand the situation the best. Choose with wisdom because that will dictate who you are and your future progeny. And throughout all of this, constantly raise your hands to Allah and pray, That's what you need to pray to Allah for. Guide us to the straight path. Help us be the change that we can, inshaAllah, preserve this religion. Allah Azza wa Jal has tasked you with a massive task. But, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. If Allah has tasked you with it, Allah knows you can live up to it. So, do what you can. Do the best that you can. Seek Allah's guidance for all that you do. And if you do this, then inshaAllah ta'ala, you would have succeeded and passed in the test that Allah has given you. Allahumma inni da'in fa'aminu. Allahumma la tad'afih yawmi dhamman illa ghafarta, wala hamman illa farrajta, wala daynan illa qadayta, wala maydidan illa shafayta, wala asiran illa yassarta. Allahumma fir lana wala ikhwanin alithina sabakuna bil iman, wala taj'al fi qulubina ghillah alithina amanu. Rabbana inna karaufur rahim. Allahumma a'izza al-islam wa al-muslimin. Allahumma man aradana, aw arada al-islam wa al-muslimin bil-su'in fa'ajghilhu بنفسه وجعل تدميره في تدبيره يا قوي يا عزيز عباد الله إن الله تعالى أمركم بأمر بدأ به بنفسه وثنى بملائكة قدسه وثلث بكم أيها المؤمنون من جنه وإنسه فقال عز من قال عليما إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك وأنعم على عبدك رسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين عباد الله إن الله تعالى يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإزاء القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيدكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروه يزد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة